Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Saturday, February 17th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm speaking today with U.S. Bureau Chief Jacob Magid. Hello, Jacob. How are you? Hey, Jessica. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, too. It's day 134 of the war. Israelis will have gathered tonight in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, and around the country to support the hostage families. Before the gatherings began, they called on the prime minister to hold his press conference in the hostages square in Tel Aviv. We will see what happens with that later on. G7 ministers in Munich say they are worried about Palestinian civilians of Gaza. And something that we'll discuss, Jacob and I, is that U.S. President Biden said he actually does not expect Israel to launch its operation in Rafah as the hostage talks continue. We will talk about that, as well as how the U.S. president is currently viewing Israel and specifically the Netanyahu government and the prime minister, as well as a settler municipality that is exposed to possible U.S. sanctions. All of that after a quick break. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Okay, so Jacob, let's start with uh, President Joe Biden. Yesterday, Friday, he made some very specific comments about the prime minister, about Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, specifically that he doesn't expect Israel to go into Rafah, and he made that very clear in his comments. Um, And this goes along with other comments that have been made really throughout this last week, in other words, what is he trying to really say with those comments specifically? And and overall, I'm thinking it just feels like Biden has completely lost patience with Benjamin Netanyahu. And that is becoming very apparent in these last few days. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, totally disagree with that, Jessica. Um, I think what was interesting about this specific comment is that what we've been hearing until yesterday from U.S. officials was this point that they are okay with the Rafah operation happening. Um, they believe in the goal of getting rid of Hamas and recognize why it's necessary. However, they don't want it to move forward until you have some sort of credible plan that will take will ensure the civilians in Rafah, there's over 1 million of them that have fled there because Israel told them to go south. Um, they're now sheltering there. We need to know what, what's going to happen to these civilians. We want to ensure that they're protected and there has to be a plan in place for that to happen. That's the line that the U.S. has been Um, repeating over and over again over the past week. Um, So this was new from Biden saying basically, didn't talk about that. I think that's still the case. Um, um, Vice President Harris also mentioned it later after Biden spoke. Um, But 
this extra point of actually we don't want the separation to happen on, while the hostage negotiations are going on. Um, there's he says that there's still a chance that we're they're ongoing and that we're we have we had the CIA chief in in the region earlier this week. Um, and we're still trying to get a deal done. And while this is happening, we don't want the Rafa operation to move forward. So that's this new condition that um, we hadn't been seeing before. And I think it's something that, from what I understand, it's not exactly something Israel opposes, given that it is still trying to get this plan in place. And it's not ready to go into Rafa tomorrow, for example. It's still working in Khan Yunis um, and trying to totally remove any sort of major Hamas presence there. Um but I also am understanding from this, the officials I speak with in, in Israel and the U.S. that the talks, it's not like Biden makes it sound like we're, we're moving in the right direction with these negotiations. From my understanding, the sides are quite far apart still. Um, Hamas is still very much believes that it wants some sort of, at least um, if you're going to get a temporary ceasefire, as Biden talks about, there needs to be a condition for talks for a permanent ceasefire afterwards and some sort of Israeli withdrawal. Um, which the U.S. seems to somewhat support, from what I've been understanding, but Israel's not there yet. They want to be able to go back in after the hostage deal's over and and finish the job as they see it. Um, so you have that going on in the background. We have Blinken, Secretary of State, in uh, Munich this week, also with the Vice President Kamala Harris, and he met with the uh, Arab and European foreign ministers to try to coordinate this big grand plan that the U.S. has to end the get a hostage deal end the war, get a Saudi normalization deal that includes the some of these Arab states helping in with the reconstruction of Gaza so Israel doesn't have to do it. So those are the sweeteners for Israel. And then Israel takes the steps the, to create a pathway to a Palestinian state. So it's this very pie-in-the-sky deal that they're trying to get done. The U.S. is moving forward with uh, efforts to, to try to get to advance it as much as it can. Um, the Washington Post, I think we talked about it on a couple of days ago on the podcast about how they had this idea that they're going to publish the plan within weeks. That's definitely not what I'm hearing. Um, we're not there yet, given the Israeli um, opposition to this plan, given that the countries aren't all really on board yet, and that within weeks is just totally, I think, nonsense. I think what we're seeing a lot of times is that a lot of the details of what Washington Post reported about this plan that's going to be moving forward that I just talked about have been already stated in Israeli media, and then they're picked up a few days later by Washington Post or Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and then they become this major story because these big uh, newspapers are the ones reporting it, so people take it um, at more at face value, which I think is a little bit unfortunate. Um, I, I don't think we're weeks away from a U.S. plan being presented. The reason for that is partially because there's not a lot of Israeli cooperation from this government. It's just not very likely. And uh, that frustration, I think, is bubbling. The, the recognition of that is causing a lot of frustration in Washington. Okay, so go back to that point, that, that last point that you just made. So basically, I mean, obviously, everyone wants this thing to be over, except, well, maybe for some people. And then the question really is that, is that essentially what the Biden administration is trying to do? It's, you know, it's sort of poking holes in everything that is actually happening on the ground. I mean, we had Netanyahu say this week, he basically, they came back from Cairo, from the negotiations, from the hostage talks, and he said, that's it, end of the talks. So between what he's saying and what Biden's saying, there are huge gaps. And are we even going to see some kind of coming together and understanding of one another, is that something that's even a possibility at this point? It seems like we are very far from where we were four months ago. I think as you wrote in one of your stories, when, you know, Biden gave Bibi a big bear hug. Right. Um, yeah, I think the gaps are getting wider by the day. 
And I think one of the, the more recent call that P- President Biden had with Netanyahu, the a lot the main topic of the conversation was the hostage deal um, and this feeling that Netanyahu is not being um, as flexible as the Biden administration would want him to be by not continuing to send a, a delegation to to Cairo for the talks after the, to have follow up discussions. Netanyahu basically told the, the Israeli team to come home, and this infuriated uh, Benny Gantz and Gadi Eisenkot, who were left out of the loop in this. And even Yoav Gallant was annoyed. Um, they're not necessarily saying we disagree with Netanyahu on what our terms should be, but we at least want to give these talks a chance. And um, the Biden administration, I think, was pushing Netanyahu to try to do that. Um, and it still doesn't seem to be the case. I think uh, Yitamar Bengvir yesterday said, um, I know in, in a private briefing with a couple of reporters, that he's very satisfied with Prime Minister Netanyahu because he's falling in line with his view for the hostage talks, taking a more hardline approach. Um, and that's definitely not what the what the Biden administration wants to hear, that Netanyahu is kind of following the the Bengvirs of his coalition as opposed to the Ganses and the, the Eisenkots. I think there's been definitely a lot made that with this distance that there's apparently growing between Biden and Israel um, as the war drags on. And I think a lot of it's being framed as this one that's a break between Bibi and Biden in particular. And then you've had um, over the past, past week, several U- U.S. officials leaking to American press that Biden privately is calling uh, Netanyahu an a-hole or a bad effing guy. Um, and there's also been actual steps taken. We've seen this a memo that Biden issued last week regarding aid, setting up some sort of conditions for security aid that the U.S. gives to all of its um, allies. And also this um, these sanctions against uh, four settlers who have been engaged in violence against Palestinians. So there have been actual steps, but a lot of it's been focused on the rhetoric that when we're talking about this framing. And these two official U.S. officials I spoke with said that we're past the point where Biden has lost patience with Netanyahu. And he does believe that he's trying to drag out this war for his own political considerations. And they pointed to this conversation where Netanyahu had with Biden last in the, a few days ago, where Bibi told Biden, look, I want a deal too, but I have to get it through my cabinet. And Biden, I don't think, appreciated that line. But he understood that to be is basically, I'm willing to do whatever Ben-Gvir and, and Smotrich say, that that's my main calculus in this. It's not what's necessarily good for the people. It's not what's good for the hostages, but it's what keeps, it's what, uh, it's about keeping my coalition in line. So they really didn't like that. And I think they're obviously annoyed by the, the rejection of the two-state solution rhetoric that BB reiterated on Friday. But they also, these officials also told me that no strategic shift is on the horizon, um, be it withholding aid or some sort of withholding of a veto of Security Council, because Biden understands that this relationship goes beyond Netanyahu, that the U.S. relationship with Israel, and he genuinely um, believes in that relationship. And I think he not, not, I think countless times has called himself a Zionist. And the way you saw it when, the, when he came to Israel on, the, on October, I think, 18th, shortly after the attacks. Um, it's definitely in there. And, it, and he also just believes that a public spat is not going to be effective with Netanyahu. He saw that play out during the Obama administration, and he didn't think it was effective. And he told his aides going into the administration that that's not the, the strategy that we want to use. And we're already seeing, again, that at the Security Council, um, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. envoy, again, is saying we're not going to be, there's this Algerian uh, um, ceasefire proposal that they're trying to get through again for like the third time. And the U.S. is saying, no, we're probably not going to back this, it's going to har- harm the talks that we're trying to do. So I, I don't think we're going to see this major shift. And I, one of the officials I spoke with was really, really bashing the um, some of the media, he said, that are trying to frame this as this break between Biden and Bibi and, and just like these two people that don't get along. He called it a very simplistic way of analyzing the situation. Um, and he also, po- but I also noticed that it's not just the media that does this. Um, 
but it's also lawmakers. If you look at, at, at some of these Democrats who are criticizing the war, they're criticizing, they're framing it as Netanyahu's war, as if it, that, that's what the same language that they use when they talk about the Russian invasion, they call it Putin's war. I think there's this recognition that Bibi is incredibly unpopular in the U.S., and it's easier for them to criticize Netanyahu than it is to criticize Israel. So that's how they frame it. Um, but I th- the official I spoke with said that basically this, this, this logic is used by the same kind of people who think that the U.S. can just wave this magic wand and do whatever, and, and Israel will just do whatever it says. Um, and he thinks that's just absurd and that's not how this works. And, um, and yet there are so many people in, in the press, he says, when you look at these, I mean, I, t- I tend to myself, these State Department briefings, these White House briefings every day where these uh, um, reporters badger the hell out of, of each of the spokespeople about why aren't you doing more to re- rein in Netanyahu or tell Israel what to do. And it's just not how um, international relations works. And, and, and also just like that's not the U.S.-Israel relationship that we do actually have overall um, alignment on the, on the goals of the war. And, and we have leverage that we're trying to use. That's what this official says. Um, and we've used sticks before that we haven't, like the memo and like the settler sanctions, but we have to be strategic about it. Um, so I think there are this official acknowledge that there are some voices in the administration that are more similar to the ones in the press that do want a more aggressive approach. And those, those voices are definitely getting louder because uh, the election is approaching and Biden's polls are not looking good and he's going to need some of these progressives who are so cr- critical of him. Um, but they, this official said, I don't think the idea that they're pushing for this, that maybe Biden will go above the head of Netanyahu and uh, uh, appeal directly to the Israelis about his grand plan for Gaza after the war, two states, Saudi normalization. Um, but he, the official just doesn't think it's going to happen right now unless there's some major fundamental break. Um, there's just a question of whether I think talking about a Palestinian state might end up helping Netanyahu. I think that's um, our, our boss, David Horvitz, talked about that a couple of days ago on the podcast about how this is the one thing that Netanyahu would love is to make this whole war about whether or not there will be a Palestinian state afterwards because Netanyahu believes that's something he can re, um, revive his political life on. I think there are some in the administration that are banking that Israelis can be sold on this sweetener with the Saudi normalization and, and a recognition that maybe a lot of people in Israel are having that you can't manage the conflict as Netanyahu has wanted to do. And that while this might be a quote unquote gift for the Palestinians in the short term, in the long term, it's actually better for Israel to take this approach that the Biden, Biden administration is trying to sell. Um, but still, I think we're very far from that. Okay, let's take a break for a moment. And when we're back, we'll talk about those sanctions uh, against four settlers, because that obviously is a big piece of the story, even though it's a more sort of complex undertone of the whole thing. You're listening to this podcast. So I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning, without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So 
Educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, so then this other story that we have up on this page right now has to do with Har Hebron, Har Hebron Regional Council and a settler named Yunon Levy. Give us the essentially the situation there as it stands, and then let's talk about how it plays into the whole Biden-Netanyahu relationship right now. Broadly, we have this firm, a company that is owned by one of the municipalities that is in the settlements, who that signed a contract with one of these four Israelis who were sanctioned by the U.S. a few weeks ago. And basically, our story contends that it, it puts this government body and possibly something even greater, the, the government itself, at risk of being shut off from the U.S. financial system as well. These are documents that we've attained, Jeremy, Sharon, and I, that show the Har, Hev- the, the Har Hevron Regional Council's development co- company, it's called, um, signed this a contract with Yinon Levy to establish an illegal outpost called the Meitarim Farm in the Southern West Bank in two- 2021. Now, the State Department and its sanctions on February 1st says that Levy regularly led groups of settlers from the Meitarim farm outpost that assaulted Palestinians and Bedouin civilians, threatened them with additional violence if they did not leave their homes, burned their fields, and destroyed their property. That's the language of the U.S. State Department sanctions. Um, and then, basically, the contract itself that we we got a hold of demands that Levy protect the land's um, where this outpost is located in the southern West Bank that's part of the municipality and uh, prevent it from Palestinian takeover. And I guess you could say that Levy has done just that um, with, I think, some of the tactics he's used. Um, and this piece now, which is a settlement watchdog left-wing organization, says that it proves how state bodies are complicit in settler violence, knowing that he was going to use this contract to, to target Palestinians. Um, Levy confirmed to us that he signed the contract and what we've seen is that his bank accounts have already been frozen um, because of this executive order. The bank Lumi already told him that he didn't have, no longer would have access to his account. Um, and what's n- interesting is that this order, the executive order, states that prohibitions and the sanctions include the making of any contribution of provision of funds, goods, or services by, to, or for the benefit of sanctioned individuals. Meaning that this regional council, the, the Har Chevron uh, regional council, is now possibly exposed to sanctions, and not just them, but given that the that municipality gets obviously funded by the government, every municipality does, that could mean the, the entire government is is, um, is liable for sanctions. I think that people initially seem to downplay the, the, the magnitude of this of these sanctions. Um, and we're kind of scoffing at this idea of like, I don't think this random hilltop youth who doesn't have any assets in the US is going to care about sanctions. But you see how everyone is 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 tied to these people um, and really are exposed. And I think that's why we're seeing a, a, a bit of a freak out in Jerusalem. And there's, I know Netanyahu has ordered uh, or uh, directed Ron Dermer, his strategic affairs minister, to try to come to the U.S. with some clarifications about what this means, because I think there is a lot of concern that this could really harm um, not just these individuals, but broader government bodies. So it's definitely something I keep an eye on. And this is an interesting story, but that tying all this together. Yeah, no, exactly. It really, it's sort of the follow-up, but it's sort of the undercurrent of the whole thing. Okay, Jacob, thank you. Obviously, all stories that we're following all the time, and it's been really good to talk to you about them and to see you. Thanks for having me, Jessica. Okay, and thank to all of you for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. We'll be back again tomorrow with another installment. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you ever have comments about this podcast or others, 
you can always drop us a line at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until next time, take care and Shavua Tov. Thank you.